no replacement for displacement. You just can't beat it. I wouldn't do three V8 350s over to three L6 400s. I'd like to know your thoughts on the new BRP Ghost outboards. Your risk tolerance is too high. If you had to make a list of the top five boats to restore, what would they be? It could be purely subjective, like what boats you just like or what boats have the highest potential to turn a profit flat out or are worth investing your time and money into. Now, this is going to break down to eras, your 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Each one of these eras are going to have a brand in them that has a more valuable haul than another. So what I'm going to do is talk about brands as an overall scope of which ones are going to hold the most value. Well, for me, I mainly deal with center consoles. So I'm going to mainly be talking about center console brands that do make cutty cabins, stuff like that. But you could niche this down even further to wakeboard boats, ski boats, uh, bass boats, flats boats, stuff like that. But for me, I'm talking about things that I am more familiar with. And also just to show you the biasness of my opinions and the brands that I pick for the top five, I actually, out of the five, my top five, I'm only really a big fan of one of them. I would also say to stay away from production line boats. So massively produced boats where there is a very high supply and a very short demand, those boats aren't going to hold the value. So I'm not even going to talk about a lot of those brands. My top five is going to have Boston Whalers going to be in there. For whatever reason, they hold their value forever. They they just do. They hold their value. People love them. They are a really good haul. The brand as an overall package it just has a strong brand name. They hold their value. Me, I'm personally only really a fan of the older Whalers. So the 70s, 80s, those older boats like that, even some of the 90s, the newer Boston Whalers, I'm not that biggest fan, not that big of a fan of, but again, the brand holds its value over time, period. Then the next one I'm gonna say is going to be the pursuit. So pursuits I am a fan of. I am a big fan of a pursuit. I love a tiara, I love a pursuit. They look nice, they ride nice, then they hold their value for a very long time. And you can find quite a bit of them out there that need to be restored. So I'm going to say a pursuit all day. They hold their value and it's a great boat. I'm also going to say a contender. They hold their value and there's quite a few of them out there that need to be restored and you can find them. I'm not the biggest contender fan. I like a pursuit way more than I like a contender, but they're an all right boat. And again, they hold their value. Grady White, I had to put on the list. They, they hold their value. There are a ton of them out there, especially older ones that need to be restored. And so when you get a restored one, there is a market for them and people like them. Then the last one that I'm going to put on this top five list is going to be a Parker, even though I'm not the biggest Parker fan either. But again, they hold their value and there's a ton of them out there that need to be restored. So it is a good um, brand to go into. Now, some honorable mentions. Well, actually, you might be wondering, why didn't I say something like a CV? because everybody knows my favorite boat is a CV, but they don't exist. You don't, they, you can't find them. They don't exist. People that have CVs keep CVs and they just rotate around within the CV community, I guess you would call it. And they just don't exist. You can't find an old worn out CV that needs to be restored that you're going to get on the cheap they're hard to find. So if you find one and you can come across one, you better scoop it up because it won't last long. 
Honorable mentions, I'm going to say Intrepids. Intrepids hold their value. Good brand, good boat. There's a lot of them out there. Formulas, Scouts, uh, Stamus, Stamus, same thing. Um, on the Scout brand, I mean, again, there's not as many out there, but they they hold their value. Good brand. A Hughes, they're also a little bit tougher to find, but awesome boat. It's more of a flats boat. Same thing as like a Maverick. So any of those, great brand. They hold their value, and sometimes you can find them. There's not a ton of them out there, but there are. Um, Fountains, Chris Crafts, uh, Donzies, and Pathfinders. Those are going to be what I would say brands that hold their value over the long term. So these are all brands that have decades of boats in production and been sold. So they have, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of models and they've held their value over the long run. That's why I picked the names that I put on the list. So let's go to some questions with Richie or Rich Ellis, Shero Props. They are they are the real deal. So last week we did talk about Sharos, and yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with them, but they look phenomenal. So he says they are the real deal. The company is very good too. My friend runs them on his pursuit. I love a pursuit. The noise reduction is noticeable. The fuel economy is about 30% at cruise, and they will optimize the props for your boat. Also, he spun one, and they replaced it and took the other one back and gave him two new ones. If you can afford them and you do a lot of boating, do it. It's a solid investment. That's kind of what the discussion was that we talked about was if you spend $5,000 on a prop, is it really worth it? And that's the biggest selling point right there. He said it, you know, if you do a lot of boating and you spend a lot of time on the water, you're burning a lot of fuel, then purchasing that prop in the long run is a solid investment, especially if you're going offshore and you're not worried about running aground and tearing up the prop, anything like that. M76, I think I'd personally rather have three 400s versus four 300s. Fewer lower units in the water generally equates to better economy, and the three 400s weigh 300 pounds less than the four 300s. And I'm going to agree with you. Uh, back when that was done, again, they didn't have a V10 out. So now that you've got a V10, it's a total different, a totally different thing. Now, if you were talking about having three 400s, like an L6 or something like that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that swap. I wouldn't do a, I wouldn't do three V8 350s over to three L6 400s just because it's, it's a weight factor. It's a cylinder factor. It's a power factor. It's the same concept of taking a Ford Ranger, jacking it up, putting it on 44s and then trying to tow 20,000 pounds. You're trying to make a little truck do big truck things. Same thing. You're trying to make a little engine do big engine things. It's you just can't beat the power of, you know, a V8. I mean, the V10 now, a V12, like no replacement for displacement. You just can't beat it. So, yeah, I wouldn't go smaller, but now that there's a V10 400, yeah, I would definitely go from a V8 to the V10 and do three over the four 300 V8s. Mr. Bob, live in New York, Long Island to be specific. Always run anti-ethanol in my gas before putting boat up for the winter. I also started over the last few years, started running a product called Winterize It Pro. A friend of a friend created it. It looked 
It looks like a can of WD-40 and hooks up to your outboard flush port. It's an oil-based protectant that costs that coats the water jacket of your motor. I've never heard of that, but I definitely would like to look into that. I mean, it sounds like a good product. So anything that's going to have an oil-based protectant and coat the inside of the engine is going to be good for the engine. I mean, that's that's the that's one of the biggest problems that outboards or boat engines in general have is that you're running raw water through your engine to cool it. And, you know, you got raw water on everything. So especially in a salt climate, anytime that you can get that water off and get it oiled, um, it's going to prolong the health of the engine, the life of the engine and the, the material, your metal. I mean, you're, you're, we're talking about metal here. So anytime you can keep metal oiled, it's not going to rust. It's not going to dry out. It's going to last longer. So Shore Sharp 8349, I'd like to know your thoughts on the new BRP Ghost Outboards. Same concept, but for pontoon boats. I mean, honestly, if you look about anything out there about the Ghost Outboards, I haven't seen anything good. Um, to me, I just don't, I, you know... I don't like the idea of taking the engine and sticking it underwater. It just doesn't make, it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me. Um, I don't know how it makes sense. I, I can't, I can't even begin to understand where the line of thought is where let's take our cowling and our whole engine and stick it under the water. I mean, that's the biggest problem. And that was the biggest advantage of having outboard over the, ios and all the rest of the stuff is that one you could trim it and two you can get it out of the water so now these engines someone's going to take this engine that's under the water and leave it in the in in the water for say two weeks what's that thing going to look like how long are the bolts and everything going to last that before you can't get the thing apart and you're just i mean it's just asking for trouble if you ask me i i would love to play with one but I mean, longevity and it just does not sound like a good idea to me to stick the engine under the water and I just don't, I don't like it. I, I don't like it. I, there's nothing, that's nothing good. Nothing says good about it. I understand part of the idea. If you live in the North and you are used to bow riders, wakeboard boats, ski boats, um, inboard engines you're used to a boat that doesn't have an engine on the back of it. And most of those people that live up there, they look around and they say, Oh, outboards are ugly. They don't like looking at it. They don't want to see it. And so I guess I see the concept of it's an outboard, but yet you don't see it. So you kind of like are fulfilling a demand of someone, but at the same time, reliability, longevity, functionality, um, serviceability, like your risk tolerance is too high. So nope, I don't, that's, that's kind of my opinion on it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, there's, I, it's, I'm speechless. So fishy dubs fishing, that's unnecessary. Those are stainless steel shafts. They are made to be in the water. Um, I mean, I guess, but at the same time, stainless ain't stainless. Like it, it, every, it's metal. Every metal rusts. Every metal corrodes. Every metal pits. And so, yeah, stainless steel in Wisconsin is gonna last forever. But stainless steel in South Florida 
or pretty much any all over Florida, it don't last. Like how many times do people with 20 year old trim units, 20 year old outboards have all these trouble with the steering components with the trim components? Yeah, they're stainless steel shafts and they're supposed to be stainless steel, but they still pit the the salt gets on the rams. And then that salt, when the, when the water evaporates, you've got salt minerals left on that stainless steel. They pit, they corrode, they cause problems. You get nicks, you get deans. Like that, that's kind of like one of the things that happens. So stainless steel doesn't rust. I mean, it kind of does. And especially when you get into Caribbean style waters, they say that even plastic rusts down there. So voodoo and was it worth it cough the bully netter um yeah the bully netter to me was worth it obviously i wasn't in it for the the money i was in it because i wanted a bully netter and i wanted to make one and i also wanted the content i wanted to be able to make the content and have that for you so to me it was worth it i mean based on how i did the project i probably could have shaved a lot of time off of it but you know doing a weekend project style kind of between making content, working on engines and fixing stuff. And then actually, you know, creating the content and doing the work on the boat time gets spread pretty thin. So in a better environment, I probably could have made it faster, but you know, hindsight's always 2020 20. Joko, Great video, mate. I have an idea for your next video. When the grease fitting won't take grease and you remove it to find pack salt behind it, and how to unclog that situation. Um, you know, any grease fitting that does that, they all do that over time. If you don't use them, the more you use them, you know, back to annual maintenance and service and stuff like that. As long as you're putting grease in it two, three times a year, they shouldn't clog up. But if you go five years without, you know, putting grease in there, they pretty much clog up. Sometimes you can take a pick, and push that little ball in to get them going again, to get them take fitting, to take grease. But at the same time, a lot of times you just have to take the fitting out and then you are going to have to drill out the salt that is packed up behind it and replace that Zerg fitting. It's not uncommon for those things to not be salvageable. I mean, they're like five, 10 bucks to buy a new one. So I think it's a 10 millimeter. There's, you know, hexes on it. So you can put a 10 millimeter wrench on there and take it out. So, I mean, you just remove and replace kind of deal, drill out whatever's behind there. It also, depending on, you know, how bad it is, you might even have to heat some stuff up to get that old crusty grease out of there, liquefied. So, so you can put new grease in there and get your thing going again. Indy A. How do you feel about diesel outboards? Honestly, I'm surprised it took them so long to make a diesel outboard. I know you had Optimax, you know, Mercury made, turned the Optimax into a diesel for government use. So that way, you know, all these government big ships and stuff like that, they only carry diesel. They didn't want to have to carry diesel and gasoline on the boat. So they made the Optimax to be a diesel outboard. But until... Ox and Cox and all these other brands started, you know, a dedicated brand to a diesel outboard. Um, it's fairly new and I'm surprised that it took so long to make them. You know, diesel's made for pushing weight. You want big power, 
big engines to move massive amounts of weight. Uh, all of your big sport fish and the larger yachts, stuff like that, they're all running diesels because you're moving a lot of weight. You don't really care about doing 100 miles an hour. And so I understand that because now whenever you're talking about an outboard, you're talking about the lower unit and a smaller propeller. So the advantage of that big diesel power in a bigger boat where you've got a straight shaft or a pod drive or something like that, where you can put a bigger prop with a bigger transmission, bigger, lower unit in order to, you know, actually utilize the power that you get from the diesel. Uh, I would say that kind of has played into the factor of why they haven't been created beforehand. But now, I mean, theoretically the fuel economy compared to a gasoline engine is going to be way better. I, I really don't, I haven't spent a lot of time with a diesel outboard, running them, comparing them, researching them, looking at the fuel economy compared to the gasoline. What's the overall speed? What's the RPM that they turn? All those kinds of things. I don't really have a good background or pool of information of experience to be able to speak on that. But I mean, I think it's a great thing. I, I, Diesels, I mean, look at it. Look at your vehicles. Gasoline engines, a lot of them, 300,000 miles. Diesel engines, a million miles. Like, you, you can get a lot more longevity out of the engine. So, I am, I am surprised that it took as long as it took for there to actually be outboard diesels, if that kind of is an opinion. Depends on the fuel source, make and model. Diesel is generally more efficient than gasoline and you don't have a bomb under your feet. You know, it's the same concept of these people that want to have two, three, four, five, six outboards on the back of their boat. It's a different type of boating. Like, I think that a lot of people have a different understanding. They're too used to the way they like to go boating opposed to the way that these people like to go boating. The people that are buying four, five, six outboards, they don't care about money. They're making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, and they value their time more than they do, you know, their bank account because they've got so much income coming in, they don't care about spending money. They're used to spending five, six, ten thousand dollars a month on fuel, and it's more about time. So the whole gasoline diesel topic kind of stems from that where you're talking about saving money with the diesel and the fuel efficiency you're not concerned about time these guys that want to go 70 miles an hour 80 miles an hour in their 45 foot boat is because they want to get to their house load their boat up leave the dock at like 7 30 in the morning run 60 miles offshore get there in an hour spend two, two and a half hours fishing, load up their boat, run an hour back and be able to go home and go out to lunch with their family. Like, like that's what they're doing. They're not doing it just for, you know, showing, well, I mean, that's not entirely true. There's a lot of people that just keep putting outboards on the back of their boat just to one up the Joneses and, and show how much money they got. But on the other side, there's a lot of them that they're running to the Bahamas. They're running, you know, 
80 miles offshore and opposed to it taking them three, four hours to get to the fishing spot and then only fishing two hours and then taking three, four hours to get back home. That's an entire day where if they can, you know, burn this down and, and have the same size of a boat go 65, 70 miles an hour and get to their spot and save four or five hours off of their day. I mean, they don't care about the money. They, they want the, they want their time and that's how they buy their time. You're not going to get that speed out of the diesel. A lot of these diesel outboard boats and stuff like that, you know, you're cruising 20, 25, maybe 30 knots, you know, you're, you're not going 65 miles an hour, 70, 80 miles an hour on those boats. Do you want to go fast or do you want to save money and you want to cruise? It's like comparing a 65 foot Viking with a 16 foot Hughes flats boat. They're two different boats for two different things. And to say, well, this one's better than this one because it's bigger. Not really because the flats boat can go up on the flats and you can go bone fishing, but you don't really want to take the flats boat 75 miles offshore to go tuna fishing. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the discussion and, and probably why a lot of people have this misconception of what's the point of, you know, why don't we have diesel? Why don't we have gas? Why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? It's because there's different, different types of boating and it's different types of, uses out of the boat. Orlando, I believe Tohatsu and Suzuki still make two strokes, two strokes overseas. Uh, I think they do too. So does Yamaha. They still make their Endura or the Enduro, but you can't buy that in the United States. I'm pretty sure you can't buy that in Canada. And there's probably a lot of places over in Europe too, that you can't buy those engines. So it all depends on where you're at, what you're doing, and that kind of thing. John Nooney, I wonder how the math works factoring the extra purchase price and increased maintenance of the extra engine. Would the fuel burn savings offset that? When you add more engines, and depending on how much fuel you burn and how far you go, how much boating you do, you know, what is that math? What is that? Is it two years? Is it three years? Is it never? Depends on how you use the boat. Some of these people, like we are just talking about, are making these massive trips. They're going to the Bahamas every other weekend and they're spending five, $10,000 a month in fuel. So if you can get a 20, 30% increase in your fuel economy, you probably are going to recoup that money within one boating season. So, you know, how much do you use your boat? Do you use the boat enough to justify the purchase of something to increase your fuel economy? Yep. Boats are so expensive because they are incre incredibly labor intensive to build. And that is the truth. Factoring time is probably one of the hardest things to do in any business, in any boat, in any project, stuff like that, because it's the one thing that most of us don't, you know, value as much as we probably should. You know, you look at a project and you say, oh, well, I could do this myself and it take me 200 hours to do, or as you could pay somebody, you know, 6,000 or $6,000 or whatever to do it. Whereas if you did it, you spend these 200 hours. If you actually just went and worked a job for 200 hours and made the extra money, you probably could just pay someone to do it. But yeah, getting, getting someone to do it right. And then, um, you know, having it done the way you want it, that all plays into it. It's yeah, it is labor, labor intensive and 
you never you never get that back. You can never get the time back. The only thing that we can do is try and figure out a way to make the job quicker without you know sacrificing quality. Expat Life 30 would love to see swap of Mercury 350. I'm saying I'm guessing he says L6 to Mercury 300 V8. What do I need to buy besides an engine when repowering? So if you're going from an L6 to a V8, so you're 350, I'm guessing that you're talking about a two, 2015 or newer L6, not a 350 SCI, which is like, you know, 04 to 07, maybe. If you got that old one, you're going to need all, you know, all the rigging is going to need to be replaced because the command modules and the way everything else worked ain't going to work. If you got the 2015 or newer, a 350 L6, then you then all the rigging is going to be fine. You can swap over to the 300 V8 without changing any of the rigging. The biggest thing you're going to have to factor in though is going to be whether or not the rigging that you have going to the engine being your 14 pin, your fuel hose, power cable, ground cable, steering, sensing wire, um, your boat harness going to the water separator, that stuff is that rigging long enough? Do you have enough extra in the boat to get to the back of the engine? Because on the L6, it's right in the front port side of the engine where all the rigging hooks up. But on the V8, it's around to the back and, and up. So you need an extra like two feet for most of those hoses and harnesses to make it back to where they plug in on the back of the V8 compared to the L6. But as long as you got that distance, the V8 is going to hook up fine with all the other DTS stuff that you have already in the boat. So we will go, let's do one more. So bass fashion, I can go full throttle for eight hours and only burn six gallons with my two stroke. Maybe speak for yourself. If you got a 10 horsepower outboard, then sure, you can go eight hours wide open throttle and only burn six gallons, <laughs> but you ain't doing that with anything bigger. We'll end it there. So we'll see you next week. Check us out at bornagainboating.com.